Hello, my name is Rahul Soames, and I am the founder of the Disruptive Business Network and the host of the On Meaningful Work podcast. The On Meaningful Work podcast features people who have battled to find true meaning in the work that they do. The aim of this podcast is to figure out what it takes to find work that truly encompasses who you are. What would it take to be brave enough to answer a calling? Emily Hazel is such a person. She's the founder and chief serotonin dealer at the Serotonin Cafe. In this episode, we cover Emily's story from her childhood, her early career, the setbacks that forced her to re-examine her priorities that eventually led to the founding of Serotonin. It's an incredible story and I had a, an amazing time speaking with Emily and I hope you enjoy this episode. For more information on past and future episodes of the podcast as well as other events that we get up to, please visit disruptivebusinessnetwork.com. Thank you. Emily, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. So we're in Melbourne right now. It's a beautiful day in Melbourne. Yep. We're in your lovely serotonin cafe. But we've just been through a bruising lockdown. Um, how are you? How are you feeling? How are you coping? Yeah. Cope okay? I just said to your fair that I want to go into this completely open-hearted and I want to mm. put everything on the line that the listeners might want to hear. So no judgment, but we're going to go deep. Mm. But I'm really good. I'm really good mm. now. It was definitely really stressful. Back in March, I actually took two weeks off. I said mm. to my manager, I have to take two weeks off for my physical and mental health. Mm. So I took two weeks off and actually went away. I said, look, I really need to be offline. Three days into being away, COVID hit. <laughs> so, <laughs> and before that, you know, I really try to stay offline as in the news and I don't watch TV and things like that. And it, we, it was mental for all of us. So I jumped, mm. I was watching the news. I was watching those hour reports. They were doing Facebook lives. Like you couldn't get away from it. So mm. I was watching that. And as a business owner, we were pivoting because mm. they had all these new rules coming in every day. Yep. So, and, and also uh, being a hospitality business owner, yeah. which is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had the brunt of it. Yeah, there was yeah. a great little meme going yeah. around saying that, remember the band on the Titanic when it was sinking and they were going? That was yeah. hospo. <laughs> we were just going down with the COVID. So but we, also giving something, so, something beautiful to people while, yeah. while everyone was going through that. Yeah, yeah. I just had to yeah. give a little quote the other day to The Age about like what it mm. felt like staying open for mm. those few weeks and how we were the happiness in people's day people were getting to leave the house you know just for an hour in the second lockdown and yeah. we were the, the happiness people were allowed to see baristas and melbourne hospitality exactly and I, and I think also one sort of one little bit of respite for me was just going down to my local cafe every morning and yep. just seeing a human face and getting that you know that cup of coffee some of my yeah. friends who stayed open the whole time who have smaller venues and sort of mm -hmm. only did take away originally, they said that they tripled how much coffee they were doing because their yep. morning people who would come on the way to the train, on the way to work, mm. started just leaving the house to get a second coffee, a third coffee, get away from the kids for 10 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so they were like, we are doing three times as much coffee as we've ever done. So Melbourne was like high voltage at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so what's your, what's your genesis story, Emily? Like, where, where were you born? Where were you brought up? So I grew up in Melbourne. I grew up half in Camberwell, and then we were lucky enough to have a farm. So oh, wow. we would spend every weekend, every school holidays, as soon as we could, mum and dad would chuck us in the car and drive up there. So it was in Merijig, which is 10 minutes outside of Mansfield, just at the bottom of Mount Buller. Mm -hmm. So we had like 40 acres there. So I was riding motorbikes since I was three years old and we were on the back of dad's bikes and we 
we adjusted the property for cattle and sheep and all that sort of stuff. So very kind of grounded country life. Well, I say grounded, there's a very funny photo of my two brothers and I, and I'm in gumboots that are mums, so they're up to my waist. And then I have my pearls on and I'm standing in the paddock. So <laughs> I was a Camwell girl, but I was a country girl. Yeah, that's a good, I suppose, juxtaposition. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was me, a little bit high fashion, but in the paddock. Yeah. <laughs> that's still me now. That's, that's a great metaphor for life, yes. high fashion, but in the paddock. <laughs> well, I love going to dwarfs and things now, and that's yeah. what it is. You're dressing up in the paddocks. Hilarious. And if you ever write an autobiography, that should be the title. Sometimes yeah. I joke to my friends, they all know this. Sometimes I make life decisions mm. based off, will this read well in my memoir? Sometimes yeah. I do crazy things. So I'm like, this will read well in yeah. my life. Um, so I grew up in yeah, Camwell and Mansfield. Mm. And then I just went to the little local primary school. And then I later on went to Cary. Mm -hmm. I was actually meant to go to an all-girls school. And I went to the open day on year six and I was walking around and coming from just like a public co-ed primary school. I just remember yeah. being like 11 or 12 and being like, where's all the boys? And mum and dad were like, oh God. So I got online, which must have, Google must have barely been working those days. I don't even know if Google was a thing. And mm. I got online and I found a co-ed school and I loved sports. So I found a school that sort of had a high um, girls sport was really important to them. Mm. So I think I was the last person to be accepted into Kerry for that year, but they were just transitioning to girls. So it wow. had been an all boys school before that. So I think there was about 25, 30% female in my grade seven, so that's How old were you when, you when you got onto the Googles and, and tried to? That was, yeah, I was 11 or 12 in grade six. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Very entrepreneurial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, speaking of which, do you think, um, where did that come from? Where did that entrepreneurial spirit came, come from? Were you? At later parents, in life, yeah. I've, yeah, I've worked yeah. out that I'm exactly half mum, half dad, which does sound logical, but yeah. you're sort of meant to look at your parents for what you are going to do. You know, that's really mm -hmm. traditional. And my dad is in construction. He's definitely an entrepreneur. He's had his own business since he was a teenager. Mm -hmm. He tells me a story that when he was in year seven, he used to make coffee in his locker and sell it to the year 12s. So he's definitely got that entrepreneur gene. And then mum is a, a midwife and a nurse. Okay. So I think that's where serotonin perfectly comes in. Yeah. It's this entrepreneurial but really caring business. Yep. And so I think that's the perfect balance of both of them. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and then at, at school, um, how were you as a student? Were you um, I was definitely not a good student. <laughs> <laughs> I was reverse suspended That seems to be the common school. theme with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Any entrepreneurs hate school. So, yeah, I didn't like to follow the norm. And I do remember being in grade four mm. and my two younger brothers who were in like grade two and prep, they played basketball. And I said, mum, I want to play basketball. And she said, well, there's no girls team you can't hmm. and I said well let's start a girls team so we put a, an ad in the the newsletter that went out mm -hmm. to all the parents um, and I wrote a little thing in there and then I had seven other girls write to me so we started the first ever Campwell South Diamond team and now there's 190 girls basketball teams from that school so Whoa. that definitely started something there and I think yeah. that was yeah probably mum has always motivated me and pushed me and guided me and allowed me to do anything that I wanted to in my heart yep. so that was kind of primary school and then high school I remember getting kicked out of a lot of classes not kicked out but just asked to leave yeah. and I just for what do you remember talking yeah mm. distracting 
uh, but just not being interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. last year, um, I actually got a diagnosis that I have ADHD. So that was probably it. I just wasn't concentrating and I, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't present. Um, but yeah, I do remember we went away on a school camp and we, we got in trouble and we ran away and we ended up getting reverse suspended, which is where you have to come back in the school holidays. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time at school <laughs> in detentions and there on the school holidays. But I just didn't love it. It just wasn't mm. engaging me enough. I was the only girl at my school to do woodwork and metalwork from grade mm. 7 to year 12. Yep. I was the only girl in VCE doing DT, woodwork and metalwork. So I really picked a lot of hands-on subjects. I really pushed the boundaries. I did a lot of vet subjects. I did vet hospitality in year 11 and year 12 because mm. we got to go into a university and do it. I always wanted something else. Wow. And then in year 10, you have to pick your subjects, which decides your university which decides the rest of your life they're telling Mm. you so I remember flicking through the book and I found this um, subject called earth and environmental studies and half the year was on indigenous studies and half the year was on environment and that really lit me up Mm. and I was like okay I want to do this and then I wrote it down as a preference I said we don't offer that I was Mm. like they said if you can find um, 19 other students we'll get a teacher for you so I found 19 other students. I think I found about 25 other students <laughs> and they got a teacher for me. And then that ended up being my best, my best subject. So yeah, my year 12 was a bit I suppose you had shop. skin in the game with that subject because yeah. it was really you who were leading, leading yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, and they got this amazing teacher in for us who was really motivated. And it was stuff we hadn't learnt before. And it was really current affairs yep. and learning about history and learning about a little bit of geography. And it was learning about Australia. Yeah. and the truth yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really great subject wow and, and so during those times i suppose when you were not interested or a bit bored at school was there something else you were thinking about something else that you'd rather where you'd rather be or well that's where i i thought i was heading i was always really interested in indigenous studies and i actually my number one preference was a course at victoria university mm-hmm. and i had to go through a huge application process for that and i think about 95% of the students in it were Indigenous. Mm-hmm. So I had to go through this process to get in there and I went through three or four interviews and I had to get myself over to Vic Uni when I was in year 12 to go through all of that. And then, I don't know, something just turned. I think I came back from schoolies and mum mm. said, why, why do you want to do this course? And I said, oh, I really want to you know, influence and, and help the Aboriginals. And she said, well, you know, let's just go up to the Northern Territory and do something more hands-on like that. So I didn't end up doing that course. And wow. she said, you just need to get a job. And so I printed off two resumes mm-hmm. and I walked down to Camwell Junction and the two shops closest to us was a, a baker and then the Commonwealth Bank. And I applied for both and I got both, but mm-hmm. at the time the bank paid more. So then I okay. went and worked for the bank for three years. So this was after high school? That was after high school, yeah. yeah. Something just shifted. I don't know what was happening around that age, but yeah, my gut from, from then on, I've really listened to my gut. And what I learned mm. then has been so imperative to everything I've done now and learning what I did at the bank and learning about money and learning the back end of big business. So, so, but at the time I assume a a lot of your peers, a lot of your friends would have been thinking about university and thinking about every single thing I think went to university. Yeah. 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 (laughs) A lot went traveling. Yeah. Someone traveling for six months. So I Mm. saved all year and I met them for like two weeks. The only holidays I could get at the end of the year and we went and did Southeast Asia. So, so in a way that's quite a, bold move to I suppose go against the grain and uh, especially at 1780 yeah. to, to get a, a proper job. Yeah. I'd always been working jobs mm. just seemed to fall in my lap I 
have a lot of cousins and um, I was just helping them at one of their birthday parties when I was mm. about 12. I think I was in year six, maybe year seven. <laughs> and I was helping on this gym bus. It's like a two-story gym bus with gym equipment inside. Mm -hmm. So that pulls up mm. and the kids just get put in the bus and they play and the parents are happy inside. And I was helping, you know, the kids play and I was holding them on the monkey bars and things. And the owner said, oh, do you want a job? And I was like, yeah. And he said, are you 16? I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so mum had to sign this form yeah. saying that I could go and work for him. Mm. And he paid me $25 an hour. Whoa, that's <laughs> huge. Huge. Yeah. All my friends were at Hungry Jack's and Macca's years later on $6.80. Yeah. And so he would pick me up on a Saturday and Sunday morning and we would just drive around. I'd sit in the front of this bus with him. We'd pull up, we'd do the hour party and then he'd drop me home at the end of the night. So I was making bank in, yeah, really young. Yeah. Yeah. And I was basketball coaching and doing all these other things. And I did that for years and then I went on, I, I was picking up my cousins from another party and mm. it was a... It was called Artivity and they did sort of mosaics and clay and things like this. And I was, again, just kind of helping my cousins. She said, do you want a job? Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. And then she's like, okay, how much do you want an hour? I was like, 25. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's what the last guy paid me. She's yeah. like, okay. So then for years, up until the start of year 12, I worked there like three or four nights after mm. school. Um, I would do a few hours every night. So I was always you know, doing full-time school and then getting yourself on the tram there and then going home at like six, mm. seven o'clock after that. That's a great, I think there's another important lesson there in that don't sell yourself short. Yeah. In that people always, especially, you know, entrepreneurs when they're starting out, freelancers, just get so scared of asking. 100%. Yeah. I saw a great quote the other day about, yeah, you're not paying for that hour worth of work. Well, then they were paying for me for that hour worth of work. But mm. if you're a designer or anything now, you're charging for your whatever it could be five ten twenty years experience yeah. and knowledge so sure you might do a job for them that takes a few hours mm -hmm. but that's not twenty thirty dollars worth of work you're paying mm -hmm. for years worth of experience so that's why people charge hundreds of dollars for a couple hours of work yep and nine times out of ten people are willing to pay that a hundred percent yeah, yeah. and yeah. same even if you work for someone else i always say yeah know your worth and then mm. add tax, but always ask for a raise. What's the worst they can say? No. Mm. But if you're working really hard and you know your worth, mm. always go in and ask for a raise or give yourself um, KPIs, you know, something mm. that you can achieve to help out in the company you're in. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, so maybe moving, we we're going to jump across timelines <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> so the, the nannying, so did that go into, uh, how, how did that progress? Yeah. So, yeah, I had all these cousins and my aunties mm. and uncles would just say, can you come over and babysit for us? So I would just start yeah. doing that. And then their neighbors would say, can you do it for us? And then their friends. And I also, I can't remember at what age, but I was basketball coaching as well. Probably when I was about, yeah, 12, 13, I started coaching preppies. So I would do that on Tuesday, Thursday nights mm. and then early Saturday mornings. So then all their parents would say, oh, can you babysit for us as well? So I just started babysitting really young and then it got too much for me. So I got a few friends involved and I said, mm. can you help me? And then I would take a little cut from them and then it just launched. And then I launched Burundara Babysitters and mm. then later I moved to Paran. And so I launched Stonington Sitters and I, we ended up having like 300 families and I had, I had a heap of families who had four boys. And so for a girl to look mm. after four boys is a bit of a nightmare, power to all the mums with four boys. <laughs> so I brought on a few mm. nannies. So I would have all these male nannies who would come and they would just run these boys into the ground until they were tired and put them to bed. 
So this big business just kind of started out of nowhere and wow. I slowly had to bring that down. But while I was going through uni, yeah, that's what I was doing on the side. And yeah. while I was working at the bank, that's what I was doing on the side as well. Okay, so you, so, okay, so moving to the bank job. Yep. Um, what, uh, what, what do you remember? Like, how do you look back on that, on that time? It was incredible. The customers yeah. actually all called me Smiley, which is <laughs> ironic to now be the serotonin <laughs> dealer. But I just remember absolutely loving it. It was, mm. we had a great uniform. It was kind of, it was designed by the same lady who designed the Qantas uniform, Lisa Ho. So we had this great uniform. I felt very professional. Mm -hmm. It was huge hours. Like, we were getting there 7.30, 8 a.m. And sometimes we weren't leaving till 8.30 p.m. Oh, wow. And that wasn't normal for any other branch. But I started in Campbell branch in 2008. And they had just changed over to get rid of the teller screens. Mm -hmm. So for however many years, um, tellers would sit behind these screens. And the CBA were the first to get rid of those because mm -hmm. they were trying to humanize customer service. Mm -hmm. So the week that I started... Um, the CBA actually got a new CEO and they, he was this guy they bought over from New Zealand mm -hmm. and he had taken the worst customer service ban uh, bank in New Zealand to the best and so CBA wanted him as well. At the start, out of the four big banks, they were the worst in customer service. So he came on with me, so I got put through all this customer service training, which I think led on yeah, into my business. Wow. Yep. But we had these machines that were worth half a million dollars and you would sit at it and that's kind of what held the money in it. Mm -hmm. So I got trained up from that. I just remember having all this great training in the CBD. So I got trained up on that and then they also um, launched concierges. So that mm -hmm. was one of my first roles at the CBA. You would welcome people at the door because the telescreens were gone. So people would walk into the bank and think, where am I? Yeah, so you yep. would direct people, you know, and that's as well when they started to get rid of people. So there was all these money counting machines and you would come in and do your own if you're a business banker you do your own business banking mm -hmm. so it was really futuristic especially for like you know 13 years ago now um but i really loved it i just yeah would do concierge would do teller and was moving way way up and doing customer service and it was great i jumped around i started at campbell for maybe a year or 18 months and mm -hmm. then the paran branch got rid of their screen so they took me over there to be the head teller and kind of launch that there but these machines would never balance <laughs> so we knocked off we closed mm. the doors i think 4 p.m and normally mm. 10 past four you can be out of there but these machines were not working so we would have to pull out the money every night count the money by hand put the money Whoa. back in the machines would muck up <laughs> so we were there for hours and hours and hours so it was good it definitely mm. yeah it gave me great work ethic and i remember seeing a lot of especially female, maybe that just stood out to me, but I remember at the Campbell branch, there was this lady who would come in with a mm. leather jacket and I can't remember the business she owned, but she was so confident and mm. she just, I just thought, yep, I need to go into being a business owner. So that was kind of pivotal to see people in business. You know, there's not often you yeah. get to interact with yep. all different entrepreneurs, but they would come in, have a chat with us, you know, how's business? And it was really interesting. Wow. Maybe one thing I want to, ask you about you, you mentioned work ethic mm -hmm. and I think for as long as I've known you I think you have a phenomenal work <laughs> ethic <laughs> Thank you. What, what, what do you ascribe that to like where do you think that comes from I guess maybe a little bit growing up yeah in the country and having mm. to help like carry firewood and do things mm. like that but I guess it just is part of my DNA I think dad's a really hard worker mm -hmm. and even to be a nurse is one of the hardest jobs as well Absolutely. Yeah. so it's probably in my DNA like 
I hated school. So, you know, I wasn't mm. dedicated. I wasn't doing homework every night. Mm. But when I've got something that I'm working towards a goal or a mission, mm -hmm. then I can put my head down. Yeah, because you're working at the bank, you had the nanny business, yeah. you had all of these things. Yep. Yeah, and there's always, yeah. yeah, little plans and visions and I can see things in the future I'm going to do always. So I've, I've always journaled. Yep. And I think that's something mm. that is huge to my success because I think what you think you can create and mm -hmm. especially when you put it on paper, when you ink it, you create it. So I would always write down, I would always journal. Any holidays I went on, mum taught me that from when I was young, we'd just keep these little holiday journals. And that was probably just to keep us mm -hmm. kind of doing some kind of schoolwork back then, but we would keep these journals. So then, yeah, when I was 18 and went on this holiday with my friends, I kept a journal the whole time. And in the back, I would always be doing business ideas mm -hmm. and sketching things. And it was since I was about 16 that I knew I wanted to have a hospitality venue. So wow, okay. I would draw out floor plans and seating and things I would see overseas, I would sketch down. Why, uh, what, what grabbed you <laughs> about hospitality at, at, at 16? That's yeah, it was nothing in our family that I had seen. A friend's parents would take us out um, for brunch. We actually used to start on a Wednesdays late. I think the teachers had a meeting or something. So on Wednesday mornings, we would start 45 minutes later and they would take us around Melbourne to mm. brunch, which really wasn't a thing, you know, in mm. the 2004, 2005. So they would always take us and we'd see all these cafes. So I saw that kind of brunch world. But what I love is like the hospitality, mm -hmm. which is what's been missing. My dad is a great entertainer. He thinks about everything. He We had Christmas up at his house last year and he had it catered and he had the tables decorated and he gets everything organized and he's always attending to people's needs even if we mm -hmm. go over just you know for a drink you'll have a cheese board and he'll have mm -hmm. everything done so that's what i kind of liked i like that you kind of come to the venue and it's just like you're in my home you mm -hmm. know it's really friendly service and it's just like a big community so it's just something that i'd always a vision i was always mm -hmm. going towards but it did change it was meant to be a japanese breakfast mm -hmm. So I don't know if you know Serotone, uh, uh, Samurai, which is in Hawthorne. No. It's a Japanese little dinner spot and it's mm. just a little hole in the wall. It's two stories. Mm. And it's just like really cheap and cheerful. When I was in high school, it was $9 and you mm. would get an entree, a main, a drink and a dessert. And it's gone Amazing. up about a dollar every year. It's still <laughs> cheap as anything. And we mm. used to go there like after school, we mm. used to go there when we were 18, we'd all meet up there. It was just such a great place because it was so cheap. You could go, we all had something we like. And I just love when you eat Japanese food. I feel like mm. everyone always resonates with this, but when you eat Japanese food, you just leave and you just feel satiated and light mm. and clean. So after I saw the brunch culture in Melbourne and I love this Japanese, food, I just had the idea for a Japanese breakfast venue. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'd actually been sketching and designing and conceptualizing, but mm -hmm. it wasn't until much later mm -hmm. I changed how I ate and this all came about. So, so when, when you're 16 and you had this idea mm -hmm. and you say you were sketching and journaling, like what, what were you actually doing? Like what were you sketching? Were you sketching out the layout? Were you sketching yeah. Dad's, yeah, dad's a builder, like I yeah. said. So mm -hmm. he would always have me, well, I guess he would always be sitting at restaurants and he'd come up with an idea and he'd get a napkin and he'd sketch it down. Mm -hmm. And when I, I can't remember how old I was, but I remember sitting at the farm and him and I sitting down and I sketched out a house with him. Mm -hmm. And we really thought about 
floor plan and when you walk in and like user-centered design, how are they going to use this? And he told me it's, you know, this is for a family with two kids. And we sketched out this place and he ended up building it. It's a townhouse in South Yarra that he did too. Oh, of. wow. <laughs> so that's kind of in my DNA to yeah. be sketching out floor plans. And I did later go and study interior architecture. Mm. So that's something I'd always wanted as well. And I would just sketch out, yeah, floor plans, seating arrangements, Japanese tatami, which is like the sunken seating. Mm -hmm. That's what I loved as well. Just kind of that relaxed. I just hated how sterile, and I still hate how sterile, Melbourne cafes are. Just mm -hmm. It's just all tables in a row. It's, mm -hmm. There's nothing comfy and sexy about sitting in the middle where there's yeah. waiters bumping past you. So that's what I was designing. I was designing all the little nooks that the cafe has now and yeah. the privacy and yeah, the curtains. And I was designing all those concepts, the swings. And yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, and, and coming back to the bank job, you, you were there for three years? Yeah, on and yeah. off for three years. I'll take a little holiday yeah. for a few weeks <laughs> with my savings and go away and then change branch and mm. yeah, for about three years. And then um, what was the next step after that? So. The next step was I had been talking to my parents about launching this cafe and I mm. sat down and business minor dad made me do a, a costing. Mm. So <laughs> that wasn't very fun. <laughs> so I had to do this huge costing of what, what it would cost. You know, mm. he was obviously giving me a reality check and I worked out how much it would cost to have the graphic design sort of mm. done, the branding, the menu. So this is for the Japanese breakfast? Yeah, yeah at the yeah. time this is for mm. the Japanese. And mm the yeah the logo the branding he was helping me work out the website all this sort of stuff and then obviously all the fit out and then the other main cost yeah was the design so i actually worked out it was going to be about thirty thousand dollars to have the branding done and mm -hmm. it was probably going to be the same or more to have an architect help me do the fit out mm -hmm. so then i jumped online and had a look at what it cost to do those courses <laughs> so <laughs> it was not that much yeah. so i thought all right i'm just going to go and study so i did a double degree in communication which is now graphic design mm -hmm. and interior architecture wow. so yeah i went down to swinburne and then started there when i was about 21 so hilariously when you're a mature age student, mm -hmm. um, your VCE score doesn't count well, at you're all. You're barely the definition of um, Yeah, well that's what yeah. they say. At yeah. 21, yeah, exactly, you're a mature age student compared mm. to the <laughs> 17, 18 year olds coming in. Mm. So I went down to what's well, not there anymore, but it was the Swinburne Design School in Paran, which mm -hmm. was amazing. Yep. And I'd been living in Paran since I was 18. So I did that and I was there. And in the final year, I was, I'd been changing how I ate and yeah, I was going through mm. some mental health issues myself and was really looking into food and how they could affect you. Mm -hmm. And I started eating a diet high in tryptophan, mm -hmm. which is what converts to serotonin. And it completely changed my life. So I still didn't even have the idea for mm. the serotonin cafe. And it was actually a friend of mine. I was sitting at home and he was sitting with me and I was yeah, sketching out, chatting to him about the Japanese cafe. And he's like, why are you eating all this serotonin food and mm. doing that? He's like, why don't you do a serotonin cafe? And he doesn't remember saying it. <laughs> and that wow. bang just changed my direction. I was yeah. like, God, you're right. Why haven't I thought of this? Like, this is exactly what I'm doing. It's completely changed my mm -hmm. life. And then I changed. So in my final semester, I dropped one of my design subjects and picked up a business subject. Mm -hmm. And it was a 12-week business plan. So the guy, the guy who was the teacher was amazing, as all my Swinburne teachers were. They're all sort of from the industry, yep. and they just teach yep. one subject. So he owned his own design school, so he helped me do trademark on the bottom of all of it and he really took me through it and I, I got you know honours in that class because I was so passionate about what I was doing that 
we looked at obviously my target market and a SWOT mm-hmm. analysis and we went through 12 weeks of this plan and the location we're sitting in today, I did that business plan on and it was an operating milk bar, but it was just my dream location. I drove mm-hmm. the streets for like two months and I found this spot and I just thought, I'm gonna do the business plan on that. Wow. And it wasn't until about six months after I'd finished uni, I drove past and there was a release sign. That's so, so like, th- this this space right here. This exact space, yeah. yeah. I did the business plan on. That's a good, that's. And the business plan yeah. is crazily accurate. I did a breakdown of the percentage of kind of customers I'd have. And mm-hmm. it is like five years on, it's exactly my customer still. It blows my mind. So it's more for a a vision board that came to life than yeah. the, the business plan. Yeah, yeah, I believe in manifesting, <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> definitely is. Well, also, uh, I think what I find incredible is you went and studied graphic design and interior architecture purely to so that you could apply that to what you wanted to build rather than get a job in those fields. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, all yeah. everyone else in my course, they always yeah. worked in it for years. Yeah, I, I just knew that this kind of entrepreneur was inside me and yeah. now that I know it, I can apply it everywhere. I've done a mm-hmm. renovation every year since we've opened now. I yes. just love design, it's just in my blood. So mm-hmm. I haven't been able to stop. I did serotonin in 2014, 2015 and then where we're sitting is Utopia, which is the event space. I did that a year later mm-hmm. and then I bought my first home in Collingwood, renovated that and I've just kept going. Every single year I've done a renovation on something. That, that's amazing. I love yeah. it. And also, I should say, yeah, I, I also went to Swinburne, so shout out to yes. Swinburne. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. H- how was that different to school, where I suppose you weren't mm. that engaged? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wish, I think Swinburne does a sort of year 11 and 12 program, and I know mm. some people that went through that. I do wish I did that. I think the subjects you get to pick, so obviously some I didn't love, but... I just love design. So I remember there was a 20th century design, learning about all the mid-century designers and the Bauhaus and everything was just, yeah, exactly what I wanted to do. And that was the same at my high school. I did love the subjects Mm. that I loved, but yeah, you had to do English and maths and things like that. So I just, I love the teachers. Like I said, they were in the industry and Mm. you were doing real projects. They were going on the Melbourne, you know, website and finding real projects and we were doing green spaces and all this kind of stuff that is mm. now coming to life in Melbourne because they were working on it all that time ago so that's what I liked it was applicable it was yeah, real time yeah, yeah. and um, so during this time y- you mentioned that also you're going through some personal issues some mental health issues yep uh, would, would you mind expanding on that like what, what was happening with you yeah so since I was in high school I definitely suffered with depression and mood swings. Mm-hmm. Um, and back then, really the only resources were the school counsellors. Mm-hmm. So I would go see the school counsellors and I was telling them some pretty intense things. I was really suicidal and oh, wow. okay. it wasn't until maybe the last 18 months that I spoke to mum about this and she mm-hmm. said the school never told me, which is a huge duty of care that I think has mm-hmm. been missed there. But, but that's exactly it. It was it was just so taboo and, and it still is and that's mm-hmm. why I talk about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was just really struggling with my mental health. I had just mood funks I would have all the time and I was really struggling. So that continued on and it wasn't until I was about 20, 20, 21 mm-hmm. and I took myself to the doctor. They'd gotten worse and I was on reflection eating terribly, mm-hmm. partying, mm-hmm. drinking, all this sort of stuff, staying up all night. So. I took myself to the doctor and 
we had only been having, she was a brand new doctor, so she didn't really know anything about me. And mm. we'd been having a five minute conversation and she said, bang, I'm putting you on antidepressants. Mm. And thank God, I think that didn't sit with me right. I just, I do remember going home again, just Googling, what is it? What is antidepressants? What does that mean? What are the side effects, you know? And so I didn't take them. And that's where my research to natural happiness started. Mm -hmm. And after about three months, this word serotonin just kept popping up in my research. And I was like, what's that? Mm -hmm. And happiness is a tricky term because when are you happy? Mm -hmm. What is happiness? Yep. It's, it can be no end goal. It could mm -hmm. be something in the future. So I really loved serotonin because it was just about mood stabilization. Mm -hmm. It was just about sort of being more calm, being more content, being more in the moment. So I started to, yeah, research foods that you could eat that would affect your serotonin and then that le led me onto gut research also sunlight exercise all these things that just naturally boost your serotonin so i started to do that and within like weeks or months my whole life had changed mm -hmm. so that's kind of yeah mm -hmm. really excites me to share that with people because i have two friends that were twins and one actually went on antidepressants and one didn't and just the difference in their lives and yeah. she's still on them 10 years mm. later and they're really hard to come off and I know it can be right for some people and it can be an interim thing if you're really struggling or going through something circumstantial but I just am an advocate for really putting your health first mm -hmm. you know you might need to change the job you're in change the relationship you're in something mm. external might need to change first yeah. and then find a workout buddy Mm -hmm. clean out your cupboard you know mm -hmm. it's they're huge steps they're not hard steps and in this last nine months <laughs> to motivate <laughs> yourself to work out yep. and to motivate mm -hmm. yourself to eat well has been really hard mm. so that's what I was able to do I was super motivated I was living by myself mm -hmm. so whatever I had in my house I would only eat and it was just at the same time it wasn't because they were necessarily higher in tryptophan or serotonin but mm. I started to eat a more plant-based diet mm -hmm. and I started to learn the research about that and that just I just vibrated at a different level anyone mm -hmm. who's gone from not necessarily eating a meat diet but eating yeah a more processed diet to going to a plant-based diet like mm -hmm. I was actually fruitarian at the start so I went from eating crap partying to sleeping nine hours a night mm -hmm. doing yoga every single day Bikram yoga at that yep. and just really looking after myself and having these massive smoothies and fruit and mm -hmm. I was just beaming I just had so much energy and this is when I was at uni I, I can physically remember skipping down Chapel Street I was mm -hmm. working at a juice bar just to kind of feed my fruitarian lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember being so happy yep. and it was the, the clearing out of the old crap out of your body but also mm -hmm. just like living on foods that are living mm -hmm. it just gives you so much energy so that's wow. where this all came I think that there's uh couple of extraordinary points there. I think firstly, um, what I think is a real credit to you is that you don't kind of accept the status quo, like your parents saying, sorry, this is a girl's school, yep. live with it. But you're like, nah, primitive Google, give me <laughs> <Yeah>. some answers. <laughs> ask Jeb or Jeeb or someone back then, yeah. <laughs> and also I, when we were setting up here, yep. I, I signed the lease and the council took nine months to give me the bloody permit to move one door, so mm. it was a nightmare. So behind the windows, we were doing a little bit of renovation, starting it all off, and I remember Dad just looking at me, and he was like, Em, no one walks past 
like what are you doing? No one walks sure. past. Zero foot traffic. Still, yeah. 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 No <laughs> one walks past here. And I knew mm. I'd already launched an Instagram. Mm. And by the day that we opened, it had 15,000 followers. Him, wow. to him, he's like, what the hell is Instagram? Who are yeah. these 15,000 people? What are you <laughs> talking about? But we already had the Instagram. We already had the Facebook. I already had the website. So I knew I had this traffic of people. Mm-hmm. And because it took so long to open, I was getting private messages saying, you know, are you open? Are you open? Are you mm-hmm. open? So the day we opened was very scary. There was like, I was like holding people back at the door. But for me, my gut just knew it. I had done the research. Like I knew to be, to live a more plant-based lifestyle and what I was trying to show was a very kind of north side to Melbourne concept. Mm-hmm. But I'd lived in Paran forever. So I knew they were interested mm-hmm. south side. I knew that they wanted to eat healthy. So I was kind of playing on both those things. So I picked Burnley or Richmond because it was just smack bang in the middle. Mm-hmm. And we're also across from this beautiful park. So yes, I wanted yeah. to be able to bring the nature in because I learned that nature is so important for your serotonin yeah. levels. And in Melbourne, it's we do have beautiful mm-hmm. parks, but... And you do picnic baskets. Picnic baskets. Yeah, <laughs> and so we do the picnic baskets. Mm-hmm. We have a picnic basket set up in the park and we bring it all over to you. Mm-hmm. So I picked this location. It ticked. I had honestly a hundred different things that I wanted and it ticked all of them. It was near the tram stop, the train station, the freeway exit. There was free parking out the front mm-hmm. because originally I was looking along Chapel Street for a venue and I couldn't even meet the real estate agents to park. Like I couldn't even park. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, this isn't going to be the concept and the feel that I want. I want you to be out just to pull up. You're already mm-hmm. relaxed. You just walk in. You have to pay for parking and fight for a park and yeah. push someone out of the way. You're already stressed. Definitely dips the serotonin levels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but also, I, I think uh, another example of that quality is you go to a doctor. The doctor says, mm-hmm. here's a prescription. What do you get? You go, nah. <laughs> this <Yeah>. is... <laughs> and, and you, again, do your own research and you, you know. Yeah. And, this, and this is really a manifestation of, of that period of... Um, yeah, I think, I don't know how I learned to listen to my gut, mm-hmm. but I've been doing it for a very long time and I actually did a business course in between finishing uni and opening, I started a business course mm-hmm. and I heard Lisa Messenger speak mm-hmm. and she was, yeah, she really was talking about leading from your gut and how to be a great leader and how to be a business owner and what that means in the 21st century. and. She said that she launched a magazine called Collective Hub and it went to 126 or 300 countries, something crazy in the first three years, huge. And it was the only magazine that was growing. Mm -hmm. So she launched in an industry that everyone said, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And she had actually never worked in that industry. She'd been a writer and she specifically hired people who had never been in that industry because she wanted to change what that industry was about. And that's sort of what I was doing here. I was so sick of going to cafes and there's like an angry barista and you know, you want to have a different order and they won't accommodate you or you've got dietary requirements. Mm -hmm. Or I really wanted to change that. But she said when she opened, yeah, she didn't have anyone who'd been in that area. So the day I actually opened, I'd never even worked in hospitality, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which again is a big risk. But something in me just said, don't go and don't learn you know the wrong thing to do everyone's been doing hospitality is such an old industry and i'm pretty Mm -hmm. excited to reopen now with all these pivots that we've Mm -hmm. been able to make because we're actually able to evolve and the customers are kind of ready for it now they weren't Mm -hmm. ready for it back then but yeah i've just been able to tune into my gut yeah i think also although you might not have had hospitality experience you definitely exude the values of hospitality yeah 
Uh, can, can we talk about values? Like what, uh, say, through this journey, through setting up serotonin, like what values have you have stood by you or you put, you know, um, more credence to? Some of serotonin's values, which mm. took me two years to write. I remember yeah. before I started in this business course, they were saying, write your mission, vision, values. And it just wasn't kind of coming to me. I guess I didn't exactly, I knew where I wanted to go, but I didn't have all that. And it came to me over the first two years, but our values are to be a leader and a teacher with mm -hmm. a voice that's heard. Mm -hmm. So a lot of hospitality venues have opened and the way that people interact with customers has changed based on things that we do. Um, we wanted to work as a team, mm -hmm. like with the best team and to change negative behaviors to help future generations. And I do that wow. through working with, year nine was where it all mm -hmm. went wrong or right for me. So I really work with year nine students. Yeah. I've reached out to a lot of the schools in the area and I started a year nine program in probably the first year we opened. And every Wednesday and Thursday night, I would have year nine kids in here, which is that year, you know, where they send them on camps and everyone's mm. playing up, but they would be so engaged and I would teach them about our serotonin tea, for example, which mm. has, calming things in it has St. John's wort, which is a natural antidepressant. I teach them about the plant-based meal they were eating and, mm -hmm. you know, highlight to them diet culture. You know, you never want to get rid of sugar completely or fat completely or carbs, which mm -hmm. is any diet just drops out of food group. So working, you know, to change negative behaviors is huge. And then also creating a hub for the community, mm -hmm. which I'd actually made this sign just before the pandemic that we put out the front that says serotonin is a safe space, mm -hmm. which has now taken on a whole new meaning. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to create this space where people can come because we're all living stressful lives and mm. Melbourne, mm. we're all just on this hamster wheel. So I just wanted a space where you can like come and take a breath. Mm -hmm. And we really, hospitality is about being hospitable. So it's about that customer service, which it really has dropped off a lot. Mm -hmm. um, also, being positive and sharing true happiness with a smile. So if my staff don't want to work here, mm -hmm. we tell them, go find another job. You know, mm -hmm. like people who work here, and if you've been here, you'll know that, staff are really happy to be at work. Mm -hmm. And we also attract really happy and positive people. Yep. So that creates this like magic vibe that's in here. And then also, this is a bit of an Oprah one, but to give <laughs> aha and hmm moments. Mm -hmm. So really like pushing the boundaries and talking about concepts and things, yeah, mental health that are a little bit taboo, mm -hmm. but just to give someone that little like moment in their mind that might pivot the way they think. Like a lot of our locals have now gone plant-based, which mm. would probably never cross their mind if we hadn't have popped up here. Wow, and do you, do you have those kind of discussions with your staff as well? Like how, how they're going, how they're traveling, how, you know, yeah, we yeah. have yeah, every Friday night we have team meetings and we also have what's called the Happiness Bible. Mm. So before staff start, they all sort of learn our mission, our vision, our values. Actually, before we've even hired them, if someone applies for a job, we I send back an email that says, I just want to make sure you're aligned with our vision. Because mm -hmm. if, if you just want a job to get money, that's not really what we're doing. We're really, if someone comes in here and they're having a crappy day, mm -hmm. which being a happiness center, I didn't realize that customer, I guess, mm -hmm. but people, will be at home and having a crap day. And a really interesting one is maybe someone's just been broken up with. Mm -hmm. That's something we see a lot. And someone will be sitting here and someone's crying at the table. And I'm like, oh God, there's another breakup. So we just give them free protein balls. <laughs> Shouldn't say that publicly. <laughs> That's a huge market that we yeah. have that I didn't realize. But people mm -hmm. who are going through mental health struggles come and just sit in here and just sit in the sun, sit on a swing, eat the mm -hmm. positive food. 
and just like absorb the atmosphere. And that's something the customers, I'm sorry, the staff have to be kind of ready but willing to deal with, you know, yeah. to make people's days better. I tell them to make every customer a friend. That's like our goal, turn every customer into a friend. Yeah, wow. And also one of your values was uh, something around community. I can't, can't remember yep. the exact wording, yep. but what, what does, I think, community mean for you? And then what does serotonin mean to the community? Oh, wow. The community I could never have expected to grow this quickly just before mm. we started recording. I was telling you how we had our fourth birthday party last year and I just put out an invite and I thought, oh, 40, 50 people will come and 250 people came to our room that fits 40 or 50 yeah. people. <laughs> so the community has kind of just like taken on a life of its own. I do a lot of um, like giving back is obviously so important. It's, mm -hmm. If I'm having a shit day, Sorry, I swear, but if I'm having a crap day, I, <laughs> I do something mm. for someone else. Mm. And then to see that happiness makes you in turn happy again. So every Saturday morning, it used to be every Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday, we would do um, free serotonin exercise. So mm -hmm. we meet in the park and I just get a trainer in. I pay that trainer. They come and we have an exercise session together, which can be anything from Pilates to yoga to bike riding to a hit circuit mm -hmm. and then we all come and have breakfast together and I, I get a lot of people who come who've told me after time that they actually have really bad social anxiety mm -hmm. and they said but they just they thought they could come because it's a group setting they might have brought a partner or something originally but now these people come by themselves and I guess it's the exercise and we do meditation and things like that and it drops mm -hmm. you down a level and it drops you barriers and it allows people to sit at the brunch after and talk and mm -hmm. open up. You know, you don't have those surface conversations. Yeah. So yeah. that's been huge for the community. And then we also do monthly degustations. Mm -hmm. So the whole business is actually called Serotonin Eatery, Exercise and Education. Mm -hmm. So the education is around the Serotonin 12 Steps to Natural Happiness, the Serotonin Formula. And every month we pick one. And then I get three guest speakers in. I'm sort of the MC of the night. And this is, again, to give those aha and hmm moments, I get Chinese doctors in. And before I started Serotonin, I'd never seen a Chinese doctor. I actually remember meeting my Chinese doctor. She'd just opened around the corner and she was putting a flyer. Um, she asked if she could put a flyer in our window. I said, no worries. Mm. And then I said, what do you do there? And she said, oh, we help with, you know, high cortisol levels, high stress. We help all these things. And I was like, God, can I come? Yeah. So I called up and booked in. And yeah. then when I arrived, mm. I don't know, was I naive? I thought it would be a Chinese person, but yeah. it was her. She was this little blonde lady. And I was like, <laughs> oh. So that kind of gave me an aha moment. And so I get the Chinese doctors to come. I get naturopaths to come. Again, I'd never mm. thought to see a naturopath before this, but I struggled with mental health and I struggled with skin and gut issues. And I've been able to work on those and change those with these kind of people. So just to, especially we get a lot of like fathers and daughters that come, you know, mm. I really encourage girls to bring their dads because again, they would never speak about gut health just over the dinner table and things like this, but your gut is so important for your mental health. So to have these digger stations, which we just sneakily add a couple speakers <laughs> in, um, it gives like a really nice night out and the community that that mm. has created is amazing. Like I'll launch a dinner and then 50% sell out in the first night because these people, once they've been, they know, how electric it is. I have mm. them purposely finish about 8.39 because no one leaves until 11.30. <laughs> because everyone's just wired. Everyone's just yeah. like, yeah, they've had this aha moment in their life. They're like, 
shit, I need to change what I'm doing. I mm. really need to move my body more. I need to eat better. Mm-hmm. I need to assess what I'm doing or I hate my job or something. Like they yeah. just realize there's a better life and mm-hmm. that they can feel better. J- just on that, if you could uh, maybe expand a little bit more on those aha and hmm moments. <laughs> yep. So yeah, if you could talk to that. So an aha moment I'm guessing is a moment of surprise or a moment of delight. Or yep. Aha yeah. moment is kind of like a realization where you yeah. come to the end of something and you realize you've got to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Whereas a hmm moment is like just that first little inkling of like, wow, I need to change something. And you don't know. So yeah, okay. you think, yeah. yeah, actually I am bloated every day or mm-hmm. I've had bad skin my whole life or I sleep terribly. I'm an insomnia, whatever. And then mm-hmm. you realize, wow, that's, that's not normal. Well, that's mm-hmm. not what everyone has. So the hmm is just like the little key that opens and then yeah you mm. might see a specialist or dig into google or yeah. head into google scholar do a bit of research yourself it's that mm. first little step towards living like your better more aligned life and that was i suppose your moment was that doctor's appointment mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it, it wasn't that was a moment exactly because yeah. it yeah. wasn't a realization it was like oh crap what have we what do i have to do because i was like i just don't i don't want to take that route I just Mm. you know I learned I found this one study the first one I remember that came up to me that night was these three ladies in London I think they were probably in their mid-30s and they'd been on antidepressants for 15 years and they were saying how much they wish they hadn't done it how they just can't get off it now and they were talking Mm. about all the negatives so yeah maybe if I stumbled across an article that said it was great I might have taken them Mm -hmm. but I really went into the research and looked at the negative side effects because yeah it is a drug mm-hmm. like even alcohol is a drug i we don't have alcohol it's serotonin and people always say you know like at these dinners can i order alcohol or something mm-hmm. like that but alcohol is a depressant mm-hmm. and it's just so normalized in australia that's a huge conversation i like to start because mm-hmm. in australia we use alcohol for everything we use it to celebrate mm-hmm. we use it for remorse like you know you're mm-hmm. at a funeral everyone's drinking you're at a birthday everyone's drinking christmas everyone's drinking so just to really make people start to realize that alcohol is a depressant and a lot of people, anxiety has become such a common thing now to talk Mm -hmm. about, it's not so taboo. And a lot of people get anxiety the day after drinking. Mm -hmm. So they're making that correlation. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, my parents' generation, (laughs) they they drink, they have a gin and tonic at five o'clock, they have a white wine at six o'clock, they have Mm -hmm. a red wine at seven Mm o'clock, and then they just don't know why they're sleeping terribly, Mm -hmm. you know, one of our, serotonin formula 12 steps is to get off the stimulant cycle Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are stuck on this in australia they get up they have coffee Mm -hmm. that spikes you up and then in the afternoon you're dropping down so what do you need sugar so Mm -hmm. you spike back up and then you drop back down and then in the evening you have alcohol you spike back up then you're trying to go to bed and your Mm -hmm. body is all over the place it's exhausted it doesn't know what it's doing and you wake back up exhausted, so mm. you need coffee. Yep. So that's something, even though I'm a cafe, I don't, I still don't really advocate for coffee. We have all these beautiful golden lattes, beetroot mm. lattes, gingerbread lattes. So I like the social side of drinking, but mm. it can be a tea, you know? Why can't you meet friends for a chai, even if it's at nighttime? Absolutely, yeah. Alcohol is just, doesn't need to be used as much as it is. 100% agree. I mean, um, although, for me, it's a bit, it's cheating, you know, like I, I don't drink, mm-hmm. but the reason is uh, a couple of years ago, I met with a bicycling accident, Yeah. had a concussion, and then something rewired in my brain and just made me nauseous to alcohol, made alcohol Great, knock some sense into you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ding. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but just, I suppose, going back to that that period where you were really getting into the research and knew that you wanted, you had to make change. Um, how did that change come about? Because I, I, I suppose, like with me, to get a new habit or a new yeah. routine started is just the worst. Like, it <laughs> <laughs> I have to really fight with myself. It um, wasn't like an overnight change, hmm. you know. And nothing is easy, and you fall back all the time, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think something that really helped me, which not everyone can do, is I was living alone, mm-hmm. so that allowed me to really tune in with what I want. You know, I love, this started at the same time, I don't remember loving it as much before, but when I went plant-based and started just vibrating at this different level, sunsets and sunrises and nature just made Mm. me so happy. Um, And I lived on the seventh floor of this apartment looking over the, the kind of botanic gardens and I could see a view of the ocean. So I would get up every morning, watch the hot air balloons, and it just, Amazing. yeah, I felt so Amazing. alive. So then making a conscious choice to have a pressed juice was kind of easier. When you're in your circadian rhythm, mm-hmm. you're sleeping well, you're feeling good. Yoga was a huge thing for me. I had been practicing since primary school. Mum used to come in. She's not a yoga teacher, mm-hmm. but she used to come in and teach yoga and light incense. And so I'd always known what yoga was. But I guess when I moved out, I found a great yoga studio near me. And I think it helps you tune in, it mm. helps you settle down, it helps you get out of your head and back into your heart space. So not having too many outside influences, there wasn't social media mm. then either. Mm. So I was really just doing what I wanted. I would ride my bike every night, I would ride down to the beach and ride along at sunset and ride home. So having the right food, I was also on a uni budget and really mm. trying to save for this cafe. So yep. <laughs> I didn't have enough money to go buy great things. Yeah. But I remember I would go to this little place in Paran, Cato fruit and veg, mm. and I would spend like 30 or $40 and that would be my week's fruit or veg. I'd mm. buy like 10 kilo bags of rice mm. and I would just, I was eating really clean just because it was making me feel good. You know, mm. clean eating wasn't a thing then or mm. I was just really intuitively eating. And yeah, then exercise came along and I was just doing what made me feel good. And then, yeah, if I did drink, Mm -hmm. I would just hate how it made me feel the day after. So Mm -hmm. it just slowly started to go out of my life. And yeah, when you do drink, some people, some people say they are more themselves, but yeah, I just wasn't myself. And it, it makes me unable to tune in with my gut. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, it makes me lose track of what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. So since then I still drink like five times a year or something like that, Mm -hmm. but it's for, a real occasion and I can't have anything on for the next few days. Like yeah. when I opened <laughs> serotonin, I didn't really drink for the first like two years mm-hmm. because we have to work Saturday, Sunday. So I just hate that morning after feeling. I love waking up crystal clear and I love waking up at sunrise and mm. yeah, all these things were just helping me be healthy and happy. Yeah, that's so 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 I love how they kind of built on each other rather yeah. than just going overnight, okay, I'm just gonna go fruitarian or, you know. Yeah go plant-based. I didn't have that many bad habits. It's kind of like when you're around friends, yeah, you get excited, you start drinking and next thing it's 2 a.m. So I was at uni, I was enjoying what I was studying. So Mm. I was studying a lot and I was, my first two years were a lot of architecture drawing. So Mm. I had to spend a lot of time at home just doing that. So it was just like a really quiet space. I'd made the decision when I moved in there that I didn't want a TV. Mm -hmm. It was like a tiny one bedroom apartment. So all these things, I was just, there was no noise, mm. you know, even though I was right in the middle of Melbourne in a high rise, 
in my life and in my mind I'd created mm -hmm. no noise. Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of like, you know, your, your typical hero's journey where you get to a point where you are forced to be alone. Yeah. Uh, and, and and it's happened, you know, in the great stories as well. Like, yep. you know, Jesus spent time with Teresa. Not, not that I'm comparing you to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And just through that period, certain things were revealed to them. And it's... Um, it's a common thread that yeah. when I listen to other like in their own right successful people they don't have to be business owners mm. but whenever i listen or read books yeah they always have this time in their life where they were alone mm -hmm. which when you're in a relationship it can get a bit frustrating mm -hmm. because to have that alone space is really hard or your partner can feel like why do you not want to be near me but really mm. i just need the me time yeah like i still like once a month at bare minimum i spend a whole day in bed mm -hmm. and that's something that not many people do. Like I could do it once a week. Mm. I just surround myself with like books and journals and healthy snacks and I'll just spend the whole day in bed. And that's something my body needs, mm -hmm. especially when like the business is in full flight and we're going crazy. So Mondays mm. were closed. So I generally spend that whole day in bed and just kind of like, yeah, get back on top of my mind, my body and let mm. it rest, which is like really taboo. If you tell someone yeah. you spend a whole day in bed, they'd be like, oh God. Like yeah, I can't do that. Poor thing. Yeah, yeah, it feels like a waste. <laughs> but um, there's a beautiful retreat that a friend goes to in India, and she said, "You actually just do nothing." She said, yeah. "It's so hard." <laughs> yeah. I, I know it's tough, but uh, one of the best things I did for myself was a ten-day vipassana retreat. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that was at a crazy time in my life, and although it is tough, it's not the easiest thing. Like you're meditating. God knows how many hours a day. Yeah. It really reset me at the time. And um, yeah, that's what I highly kind of re recommend that to people. Vipassana is like incredible. I haven't done mm. 10 days myself. Mm. Um, but there's a silent retreat that I go to in Indonesia. Mm. So it's optional how much you meditate and things like that. But yeah, a gong sounds and you get up at 5 a.m., and that's the yoga. So you have an hour or an hour and a half of yoga. Mm -hmm. And then we sit in meditation for half an hour, 45 minutes. And it's a permaculture garden. So all the food is off the land. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when I'm feeling stimulated and my cortisol is through the roof, I just head over there. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I went, I was really scared. And I said to my friend who'd been like, how many days do you go for? Because you can pick. Mm -hmm. And she said, it doesn't matter how many days you go for, you'll want to stay more. Mm. So just like going there, checking in, how did you find the 10 days like by t day 10 did you want to leave or you were you um know, content i wanted to leave the second day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's like doing any cleanse or detox yeah day yeah. two is really hard <laughs> um but then i mean towards the end it was I, j I just felt great like like i'd never felt like you were talking about vibrating at a different level mm -hmm. that's it that was exactly me it was Connecting with like just nature more. Connecting with nature, connecting with myself, just realizing things about myself, realizing things I needed to change. Um, and yeah, there's also, yeah, hard to describe, I kind of felt free in a way. Like mm -hmm. it was. Um, Isn't it amazing? You really changed nothing. You've still got your same life stress, whatever's going on, but yeah. you just have more space in between thoughts. Yeah. That's something that meditation brings, I think. Yeah. So I'm sure that's what you get. A and also, like, it, it did feel like I had achieved something sticking out the 10 days. Yeah. Because going into it, I thought, 
I really thought I wasn't going to last. <laughs> <laughs> because a friend recommended it to me. Yeah. And I thought, that's crazy. But I was going but through... I'll try anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going through a breakup at the time. And, you know, yeah. so I thought I, I'd give it a shot. I got nothing to lose. And, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I suppose before we, we wrap up, mm -hmm. I, I'd love to touch on the, the 12 steps that you mentioned. Yep. How do they come about? Like, um, yep. Grab your pen. This is mm, like my yeah. favorite part <laughs> to tell people about. It was mm. in that time after I saw the doctor um, and before I opened where I started looking at research and just obviously seeing what made me healthy and happy. So the first step is raise your heart rate. Mm -hmm. For me, it works in the morning, like before. Today, I went mm -hmm. for a bike ride just to get my brain ready. It's just so important for me to get up and move my body. But some people, my brother, loves working out at like midnight before he goes to bed. Mm -hmm. That <laughs> seems crazy to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just raising your heart rate, and it mm -hmm. doesn't have to be high intensity. That's definitely what I've learned. Sometimes I just mm -hmm. do yin yoga. Um, whatever, Wherever you are in your life, there'll be a type of exercise that you're meant to do. And whether it's just like walking around the block like we've all been doing this year, mm -hmm. just something to get your heart rate up mm -hmm. um, stopping the stimulant cycle mm -hmm. like we spoke about so no caffeine no sugar no alcohol mm -hmm. as best you can yikes that's a tough one <laughs> <laughs> spending time outdoors yeah. is mm. again it's the same as you know raising your heart rate spending time outdoors can mean whatever for all different people if you've got kids mm. it could just be in your backyard that day that's why I'm across from the park here all the mm. staff can go eat lunch in the park uh, eating fruits and vegetables I never push veganism on anyone mm -hmm. um, but I just tell people double the amount of fruit and veg you eat mm -hmm. if you want to change anything in your diet it doesn't you don't have to take out anything you know so just double the amount of fruit and vegetables you eat and my kind of rule is the 80 20 so 80 percent mm -hmm. should be fruits and vegetables and that kind of includes grains mm -hmm. the last 20 percent whether it is donuts or whatever you're <laughs> eating <laughs> meat, whatever makes up your last 20 percent mm -hmm. that's on you mm -hmm. so if you can get that fruit and vegetables in that's the base being mindful and meditating mm -hmm. and that one has been in there for you know like eight years now and it wasn't actually until a few years ago when i really did my own meditation course meditation has really changed for me what it means in the last few years but now i have my own mantra and i do mm -hmm. a 20 minute morning and night practice mm -hmm. and that is just game changing uh, and also i think there's a distinction between mindfulness and meditation mm -hmm. in that uh, like you could like journal is being mind journaling is being mindful, you know, like going for a walk and maybe just focusing on yourself, not yep. listening to anything, could be could yeah, be mindful. Just yeah, just focusing on your steps. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of people say, oh, golf is my meditation mm -hmm. or yoga is my meditation. But once you really do start to do a meditation practice, even if it's two minutes a day, mm -hmm. you will realize how different that is yeah. than being mindful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why I do have both in there, mm -hmm. connecting with others, mm -hmm. so important and impossible this year yep. so we've all learned you know to use skype and zoom and all that kind of stuff again but connecting with others and whether that is yeah you're just the barista in mm. the morning is so important so these are things i do every day so listening to music and dance um, one of my favorites cat johns has a zero fucks tuesdays that she launches so mm. zf tuesdays on instagram i think it is or hashtag 
but every Tuesday she posts a video of her just going nuts and just dancing to music and then everyone mm. does it as well. So just putting on music in your own house, like we all know how good it feels when you're in a car and like your favorite song comes on and you just crank it, <laughs> windows down. It just changes your yeah. chemistry. Absolutely. So yeah. important. And we just forget those. It's kind of like people think, oh, like I can't dance at home. That's mm. childish. But like I've danced so much at home this year. Mm. Uh, reading and writing. Mm. So for me, that's journaling, um, gratitude journal. I have the five minute journal, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Just a couple of questions every morning and night I like as well. Mm -hmm. So at nighttime to journal on like, what did you achieve today? Mm -hmm. Just the littlest things. It brings another sense of gratitude to your day and yep. also sort of setting your intention for the next day before you go to bed. Mm. Helps me kind of like clear my mind. I don't keep any technology in my room. Mm -hmm. So if I set up my to-do list and everything for the next day, I sleep really well. Mm. And then sleeping eight hours a night. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like nine, 10, 11. Mm -hmm. Whatever I can get yeah. is the absolute best. <laughs> when I have kids, I'm gonna be screwed. But mm -hmm. sleeping is so important for me. So like last night I went to bed at 8.30 mm -hmm. and it's hard in summer because the sun has just gone down, but that's when I'm exhausted and I can fall asleep and then I can get back up at like six, seven. I can sleep yeah. and sleep. I mean, sleep is just one of those things that, I mean, I kind of realized in the last you know couple of years that how important it is. Yep. But it's just something that you just ignore for... It's it's actually the number one step. I've mm. actually, I'm writing a book on the serotonin formula and I've mm. made it chapter one because mm. you can't achieve any of the others mm -hmm. unless you have a good night's sleep. That's what, yeah, back when I was sort of 20, 21, that was something that changed for me, sleeping. Mm. <laughs> you know, in your late teens and early 20s, you're partying. But as soon as I was sleeping better, you get up and you make better decisions. If you haven't slept, yeah, you need a coffee, whatever, maybe drink a Red Bull, something horrific. And now, yeah, after I've had a great sleep, I can get up and I feel like a smoothie or mm. I've got the energy to make myself a good breakfast. Yeah. So sleep is absolutely number one. Mm. Um, and number nine is smile, laugh and be positive. <laughs> like whatever that is for you. If mm. you're like watching cat YouTube videos, whatever is going to make yeah. you smile. <laughs> Just smile, like I just love, if I've had a crap day, I'll look up like Carl Barron and just like something to make me laugh. Like yeah. I don't watch any scary movies. I don't watch any horror movies. I watch rom-coms and yep. that's it. I just love to have everything positive around me. Stay off Twitter, people. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Get away from angry people, crazy yeah. people. Although like in, in India, they have these, I think they do here as well. They have these groups called laugh clubs where usually it's, it's older people who just yep. meet every morning in a park stand in a circle and just start laughing. Oh, that's amazing. And I have seen laughing yoga, yeah, which is similar. It's similar. And usually the first few seconds, it's f it feels forced. Yep. But then you just piss yourself. <laughs> and it just comes you're laughing at the laughing, yeah, yeah. And it just starts. That's amazing. All yeah. right, maybe we can start a laugh club at Serotonin. Do it, yeah. I'd be, I'd be number one. That's amazing. Number one member. It yeah. isn't. It's, mm. I always, something I tell the year nine kids, like, if you're having a really crap day and, and you're at home, mm. wait till like the postman comes or something like that. And mm. when he's at your letterbox, go out and smile at him. And even if it's like a forced smile, he'll give mm. you a real smile. Yep. And then that turns yours into a real smile. Mm. Just like smiling just changes your chemistry so much. Mm. So smile, laugh and be positive. Just do little things, you know, help Nana cross the road or anything you can see that someone needs help. It will lift your own spirits. And as selfish as that is, mm. it also is helping someone else. Yep. So that mm. one's like pivotal. Um, educate yourself is the second last. So 
that means something different to everyone. Mm -hmm. For me, it's yeah, changed over the years. I'm always mm -hmm. educating myself. Like now I'm always looking at what other businesses are doing around the world. I always look to like New York and London and see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But educating yourself for me is on gut health and nutrition and, and what the latest food trends are and things like that. Mm -hmm. But whatever you're going towards, everyone has like a little interpersonal goal, but just keep educating yourself. Podcasts on that. I do this thing called a 100 list. Mm -hmm. So I was taught this in my business course and the guy who told me about it, um, he was the CEO of Zombrero, which is a kind of Mexican franchise. Mm -hmm. And when he was opening, he made his hundred list and he had every CEO of every franchise in Australia that mm -hmm. he wanted to talk to. And he would just, like, we're so lucky now, you've got Instagram, you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And he got onto 98 out of a hundred and they had coffee with him. Wow. So what better person to learn from than someone mm. who's done it to the highest standard. And now mm. that's such a successful chain that's all around Australia. Mm -hmm. So your hundred list again for everyone will look completely different. Um, and for me, I've got a couple different genres in there. Like I love property and design and real estate. So um, I was recently on the property podcast, but that was just, yeah, something that I'd worked at for ages. So mm. have a hundred list, write it down, get their contacts. And whenever you're like, on a tram or doing something sitting down on the couch just try reaching out to them and that will just build your circle yep people and you know education from what you can learn from others is the most important thing mm. um and the last is to volunteer and help others mm. so yeah like i said if you're having a crap day go help someone else and mm. it will change your day but my next huge goal is to actually start a, an app mm -hmm. when i was in high uh, university i really wanted to volunteer and at the time I didn't have spare money, but I had spare time. Mm -hmm. And that really back then got me thinking like people either have one or two things. Mm -hmm. If you're busy, you might have a bit of spare money because you're probably you know, running a huge company or something. So people either have time or money. So if anyone's out there that is an app developer, I want to do it. I could put you in touch with a few people. Yeah, yeah launching yeah. an app and mm -hmm. having you either you enter and you've got time or money, your mm -hmm. two options, what can you give? And then you go through a kind of like a matchmaker thing. What are your hobbies? Are you interested in animals mm -hmm. or environment? And it puts you in touch with a, a charity mm -hmm. that either needs time or money. Because I was in yeah, university and I was trying to volunteer and it was just an impossible process. You had to fill out all these forms and there was all these loops and you had to jump mm -hmm. through. And I just thought, imagine how many charities desperately need help. So yeah. that is something I'm going to be passionate about next. Wow, that's... Uh that's incredible, Emily, and thank you th again. Thank you so much. And just having this conversation, I suppose, thinking about not just your career but your life and the phases that you've went through, um, you know, from really being this this rebel of sorts <laughs> to <laughs> still am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to you know the the nanny work and then the uh, the, the work at the bank that yep. you've done. Um, I suppose as you think about those various threads now, as you look back on them, what do you think has most fulfilled you? And is, is there a common thing that's... Wow. Probably in the first year when we opened here, mm. it just blew my mind. Mm. Like I had no hospitality experience in the business course. They're telling me to, you know, forecast how many customers are you going to have a week? And I remember writing like, I don't know, 100, 150. Mm. And the first weekend we opened, we had a thousand people. Mm. And wow. I was just like holding people back at the door. It was mental. But every weekend since we've had a thousand people. Yeah. <laughs> so that fulfilled me. Just mm. knowing that I'd created something that people needed and wanted yep. and resonated with mm -hmm. when it was like just coming from my gut. Like mm -hmm. I didn't 
I couldn't do research on vegan cafes in Melbourne. There were none. Like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And I was mm. launching this happiness cafe, which was a whole new concept. So, mm. And I think also that's the remarkable thing about serotonin is you've incorporated all those threads that you've learned mm-hmm. like from, from high school even. The, the, the angst that you felt, the, the, the mental health problems that you mm-hmm. had to deal with. Uh, There's something, when you walk in, I actually designed in what's called an intentional design pause so Mm. you walk in and there's actually a big mat which you'll never notice it until I've told you but there's a big mat that you kind of clean your feet on and then Mm. it stops and it stops and goes into the rest of the shop and really there's no reason you should stop there it's just Mm. floor you should keep walking Mm. but it's called an intentional design pause and it it changes what's on the ground Mm. so it goes from the mat to concrete and people stop there and what that allows us to do from a customer service point of view, which came from my own anxiety of when you walk into a cafe and no one serves you, mm-hmm. people stop there. And my customers and my staff are trained to greet them there within a few seconds. Mm-hmm. And then we can chat to them, put them on a wait list, bring them in straight away, whatever mm-hmm. we need to do. But just little things like that, like systems and user-centered design was yeah. what I was passionate about. And, and, and like I said, really comes from, from you, from, from what... Uh, I suppose the, the the wrongs that you feel need to be righted. Yeah. The wrongs that you've had that you, you that you need to feel. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's probably also so important for people to hear the whole story because yep. people just see it as an overnight ex- yeah. success. <laughs> but every great business was ten years in the making. Yep. You know, it's all mm. these tiny little things. Yeah, learning customer service at the bank and mm. everything that gets you to this point. So. People who want to start their own business out there, yeah. I just always tell them, keep doing that little step. Get up every morning, an hour before, if you've got your mm. own work to go to and just do a few little things every single day. It all builds. Yeah, uh, and, and also, I suppose, as we were talking before, that being an entrepreneur is somehow a glorious thing. Like, you get to bring your vision and your values to, to the world. Yeah. But it, it is a really tough job. And, and, and I suppose in the last year, you were saying it's probably been the hardest, one of the hardest years for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think exactly it is so glamorized and the word entrepreneur really went crazy in the last few years but mm-hmm. people don't realize that the only thing that really makes a successful entrepreneur is hard work. <laughs> so yeah. after the first like year I got mm. plantar fasciitis in my feet. I'd mm. just been working so much. I was at the cafe from 6am till 11pm every night doing things, cleaning things, making mm. it perfect, arranging the flowers and I got up one morning a year and a half in and I couldn't even stand up. Mm. All these little, you know, things behind the scenes. It takes so much to be a business owner and it's not, mm. yeah, you have to really have something you're passionate about mm-hmm. to keep getting you up out of bed every day. Yep. And th- this is this is my final question. Mm-hmm. Um, the name of the podcast is On Meaningful Work. Yep. Um, what does the term meaningful work mean to you? Meaningful work is exactly why it took me two years to write my mission, vision and values because... I was really searching for what my why was and I mm. want to yeah, change people's minds mm-hmm. because then I know that'll change their life. So learning about eating a plant-based diet, learning why you should exercise when you've got a why behind everything, mm-hmm. like I said, it gets you out of bed. So meaningful work is having a vision and what entrepreneurs see is a world that doesn't yet exist. Mm-hmm. So once you can see that and you have that why, you will have meaningful work because you're mm. heading towards a goal. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Like, and really, kudos to you to what you've built. I 
absolutely love this place. I can't wait to get into those pancakes. Thank you. Once, once it's opened. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Next Wednesday, mm. the 18th of November, we are opening. No awesome. one knows yet. That's yeah. the sneak peek <laughs> preview. I think this, this, this should be out there before the 18th. So, you know, get your bookings in, people. Yep. And I, I really can't wait to see uh, how it grows from here. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>